at the end of the year, I know a lot, if you're like many people, um, at the end of the year we often do some sort of life kind of check-in. You know, like a, a life type of, you know, how am I doing in different goals that maybe you set out goals at the beginning of 2017 and uh, you get to the end of the year and you, you think about, well, how, how have I progressed towards some of those life goals? Uh, it could be a lot of different things. It could be your career, you had goals. It could be uh, fitness. It could be a number of different, different areas. And many of us as Christians at the end of the year, it's a, it's a time to pause and reflect and take kind of a spiritual inventory of of how, how have I been doing this year? How have I grown this year? How have I grown closer to the Lord this year? How have I known God more this year? How has God, you know, preserved me through trials this year? And we take some sort of spiritual stock inventory. As a pastor, um, I do this as well, not only for myself, but but for the church, for the English congregation particularly, thinking about, you know, where are we as uh, we go into 2018? And uh, how have we been doing as an English congregation? What are some things we need to grow in or work on? Um, and if there's anything, at least for myself, individually, and, and I would also say it's probably no coincidence, but something I struggle with, and it seems to be something we as an English congregation are, are still needing to grow in is prayer. And man, as a Christian, as soon as I say that, you think, oh man, think about your spiritual inventory and how's your, how's your prayer life doing? Uh, many of us struggle with prayer. If there's anything I feel less equipped to teach in the church is prayer. Uh, I've always struggled with prayer. I grew up in a very secular home, um, grew up in a home that God was not addressed, God was not named, God was not really talked about much. And prayer has always been very foreign to me, and I've shared that with you before. And you know what? I'm 41 now. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I still struggle with prayer. It's not because I lack time. I mean, I literally have a job that gives me time to pray. I have a job that desires that me as the pastor pray for our people. So it's not that I don't have time for pray. It's not because of space. Uh, one of the cool things about this church, and if you haven't noticed, on the third floor, when we built this church, we, we put a prayer room, a prayer and council room, upstairs. So if you go up the stairs, you turn right and right. There's a, there's a little prayer room. For, it's, a, it's built for about four people, but you can go in there at any time. I've got some books on prayer out there some different things up there. You can, you can just go even if you want to be during the week. Um, if I'm here, I'll open up the church. You can go up and pray. So it's not that we don't have space to pray, yet every year, every day, it's a struggle. And, and speaking and just knowing many of you, it's, it's not my own struggle. It's a, something we all, well, not, I won't say we all, some of you guys I've been just really impressed with. Some of you guys have consistent habit in prayer. Some of you guys labor long in prayer, and it humbles me. And I'm very thankful for the prayer warriors that God has given to this church. But as I've spoken to some of you, I'm, I know I'm not alone. And some of you are very busy. We've got a lot of uh, families with small kids right now in our church, and I know I've had small kids myself, and I know my heart breaks for my, for my wife during those times, and for some of you moms, 
you're thinking, like, time and space to pray? What is that? That, that, that just doesn't happen in my life. Um, so some, some of you are just so busy, you, you think, man, I would love time alone with God. And some of us, some of you may be teenagers or young adults, and maybe you just were never taught to pray. Maybe it was never modeled for you, and, and we're not alone. I, we're not alone in this even as our church. The church, I would think, in North America is hungry to be taught how to pray. Um, every so often there'll be surveys that come out. I just found one in 2005. I know that's a long time ago now. But uh, it was just a survey, the first one that came up in Google, to be honest. It said uh, in the 2005 LifeWay survey, of, uh, it was like of 150,000 evangelical churches in North America. The number one need that the people addressed, the number one need of the churches was prayer. The need for more ongoing, passionate prayer in both personal and church life was the number one issue facing the church. You can see it in the books that we buy as evangelicals. I mean, I, I told you, I'm, I struggle in prayer. Yet my library has a shelf this big on books on prayer, and I've read a lot of books on prayer, and I you know, it's not something about here. It's something about here. In evangelicalism, every year there's more and more and more books published. In fact, sometimes you'll see really bad books on prayer that just blow up and become super huge bestsellers. Uh, when I was in university, a book came out called The Prayer of Jabez. It sold. It was, it was, it was based on one little prayer in the Old Testament about praying that God would enlarge your territory, it was that the theology of the book was not very good, and the book itself was, was pretty fluffy, it wasn't very good. It sold over 15 million copies. It's, I think, the second or third uh, best-selling Christian book of all time. It outsells, 15 million copies outsells the number one books in the New York Times bestseller list. 15 million books is a cultural phenomenon. And that's not the only time just in the last 10 years or 15, 20 years that, that we've seen a book on prayer just kind of blow up. Uh, right now, one of the best-selling books on Amazon, it's I think 18 on Amazon, and this book also, and the, the book and its kind of spin-offs have sold 15 to 20 million copies, is a book by, called Jesus Calling in those devotionals. And it's a book where this woman basically was writing her prayer journal and trying to pray and hear from God, and then she wrote this out. And it sold 15 to 20 million copies. Um, a couple years ago, the Circle Maker book about God writing the circle. And, and these books, to be honest, they're, they're not very good. But it just shows this kind of hunger that we have in our culture and in our churches for spirituality, that we will turn to whatever method and whatever insight we can find to learn how to pray, even when people are leading astray, us astray through, those, through that desire. The North American church, and our church in particular, lacks the spiritual power and zeal we know not how to pray. And it seems that we're not alone in this. It seems that Christians throughout the ages have struggled in prayer and have struggled. You can get prayer journals and prayer methods and prayer notebooks from every era of church history. 
And it seems that not only Christians through the ages, but specifically the followers of Jesus himself. And we read, and that takes us to our passage today in Luke chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, why don't you, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 11? There are pew Bibles around you as well. I'll also put uh, the words up on the screen, but sometimes it's nice to, to follow along. So we're going to start kind of this new year in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. And this is our prayer, as, as I hope this is our prayer as we, we do this together as a church. Luke 11, 1 to 4. Now, is it not going on? Okay. If not, we're just going to read it in our Bibles. That's why I told you to open up your Bibles. Okay. We'll just read Luke 11, 1 to 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place when he would finished. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And if you'd pray with me, I would like to just start by asking the same of our Lord, that he would teach us to pray. Heavenly Father, as we come into your word today, may we not just encounter letters on a page, but may we be face to face with Jesus, your son, who while he was on his, the earth, lived in daily intimacy and dependence upon you. May we see Jesus pray. And in seeing Jesus pray, may you teach us to pray. I pray for our church. I pray for each one here that as we start out this new year, looking into your word, you would teach us to pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Over the next series, we'll look closer at the Lord's Prayer. This week, I want to just focus on verse 1. The request of the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. It was a a pastor named Howard Hendrickson who said, who noted about this at a pastor's conference. He, He said that if you were to open your Bible to Matthew or Luke or any of the Gospels, you'll find the disciples never came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to evangelize. And the disciples never came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to perform miracles. And the disciples never came to Jesus and asked anything other than, Lord, teach us to pray. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over over these next series, and that's what we're going to be going through as we go through the series. But I want you to, we're just going to look at verse 11 today. And the first thing we'll note in book 11, we're going to look at three things very quickly. The first thing we'll note is that learning to pray is the desire of one who sees Christ. 
Learning to pray is the desire of one who sees Christ. Notice the circumstance from which the disciples rose up to ask him this question. The disciples had, uh, it, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him. The disciples, and I don't know if Jesus had, had a, at, at many points in his ministry, Jesus would withdraw, withdraw by himself to a solitary place to, play, to pray, not to play. And I don't know if, if, if this was one of those occasions or if he just kind of, you know, kind of left them for a time, if they could see him pray. But, but there, these disciples had witnessed a prayer life in their Lord. The disciples had witnessed Jesus' independence coming to his heavenly Father. And especially in the book of Luke, one of the things, I mean, you guys, we've, we've studied the book of Luke and the book of Acts. One of the themes that the gospel writer Luke brings out again and again is prayer. And this is already, right now when we get to Luke chapter 11, this is the sixth time that, that Jesus is pictured as praying in Luke's gospel. Uh, in Luke, for example, in Luke 3.21, Luke is the only one who notes that at, um, at Jesus' baptism, that Jesus is praying at his baptism. In Luke 3.21 it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And so it says when the people were baptized, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Luke is the only one that records that detail, that Jesus was receiving from his Father even in his baptism. Jesus in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is praying at the beginning of his growing ministry. Luke 5.15 says, Even now the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he with, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so in Luke, in that section in the book, Gospel of Luke, where Jesus is going around Galilee doing these amazing miracles, and people are marveling at who is this one, and Jesus' fame is growing and growing and growing, during that time in the busyness of Jesus' ministry, he would withdraw by himself to desolate places to pray. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus prays all night before selecting his apostles. In those days, it says, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. In Luke 9, this is in Luke 9, Jesus prays before asking his disciples a very, very important question. So in Luke 9, it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with them, and, and Jesus gets up from prayer, apparently. He asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets of old has risen. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ. That conversation that, set, that was so important and integral to the identity of who Jesus Christ was arose from one of these sessions of prayer. Finally, in Luke 9, 28, this is as Jesus is preparing for his, uh, the, word, the Greek word is exodus, as he's preparing to, to leave Galilee, to march toward Jerusalem, toward his death, where he knows he's going to meet his destiny as the, as the sacrificial lamb who will take away the sins of the world. He goes up again to the mountain to pray. 
And about eight days after these sayings, he took with them Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothes, clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus or his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And so the disciples had often witnessed Jesus uh, withdrawing by himself to solitary places up the mountain or whatnot to pray, especially during or before highly intense periods of his ministry or, or his life. They saw Jesus making prayer a priority. They saw Jesus coming to his Father. They saw Jesus make his prayer a refuge of, solita of solitude. And, and some of them had even seen, as he prayed on the mountain, some of them had even seen his glory revealed. Like they, they saw the glory of God shine forth from him. We call that the Mount of Transfiguration, where his glory was revealed. But I, but I really believe it's not his divinity that they're seeing in these times of prayer. But the disciples are seeing Christ in his humanity. They're seeing him as a man of prayer, and they want it. They want it. And they say, Jesus... What you have with the Father, that intimacy that you have when we see you prayer, when we see you pray, we want that. We, our lives do not have that, and we want that. And so, Jesus, please teach us to pray. Teach us that we might pray like you, Jesus. They had a desire to pray because they had seen him pray. Now, we should mark. We should be careful to mark. So, so when you see something, when you see somebody doing something or having something or enjoying something that you want, you're motivated to have it, aren't you? Right? If I see you enjoying, I love hamburgers, man. Man, I'll tell you, I'm going to take my kids to a game tomorrow, to, to a basketball game tomorrow. And we saw on the website there's this burger place in Toronto. Hamburgers are like, like that. They're going to be amazing. I love hamburgers. And if I see you enjoying a hamburger, I'm going to be like, man, you are experiencing that. I want it. And I'm internally motivated to desire something because I see you enjoying it. And that's what the disciples are seeing. But we, we must not forget that there's a command, that we are commanded as Christians to pray. The command of God, if you take the Ten Commandments, for example, the, the first, what's the first commandment? I'm memorizing these right now with my little four-year-old daughter because we got a song for it. You shall have no other gods before me. You can all sing it along. You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment is about prayer. The first commandment is that my focus of my worship of my life is upon the Lord my God and, and to no one else. No one else deserves that place of priority and of worship in my life. So the first commandment is about prayer. You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is about prayer. You shall make you shall not make for yourselves an idol. What do you do with an idol? Well, you bow down, you worship, you bring your petitions to, you bring your requests to an idol. I was living in Japan, and that's what they would do. They would go to the temple before their, you know, before their, uh, their big, um, well, usually it was the driving exam. That was the big one. The driving test. 
And sometimes it would be before like midterms or finals. The kids would, and they would go to the temple and they'd light the incense and they'd pray and they'd bow down. And the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol, is about prayer. The third commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. What do we, how are we taught to pray? We are taught to ask anything in Jesus' name. The third commandment is about prayer. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, is about prayer. It's about taking time out, setting aside a day of worship and of prayer. And so we're commanded to pray because the first greatest commandment that all those four come from is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. What's the second greatest commandment? Is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so all those second, that second table of the law about you shall honor your father and mother, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false testimony, you shall not covet. That also is all about prayer because how do we love our neighbor? We love our neighbor as we, as we, as we seek in them the glory of God. And how do we seek in them the glory of God if not to pray for them? The, the prophet Samuel is leading the people of God. And the prophet of Samuel is calling the people of God to pray. I believe this is in 1 Samuel chapter 23. He's calling the people to pray. And he says to the people, I have sinned as a leader by not praying for you. Because he saw that command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He saw that the command to love thy neighbor as thyself was to tied up in this command to pray for the people. And so all of the law and all of the commandments are summed up in this command. They're all deal, they all deal with prayer. And that's what so condemns us. That's why the law, that's why when Jesus is teaching us his prayer, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, this is actually gospel. Because we cannot do this on our own. Who among us in this room can say they have ever loved the Lord their God with all of their heart and with all of their soul and with all of their mind and with all of their strength? Who among us, when we think of prayer, that's one of the reasons why we're not motivated to prayer because one of the things when we think of prayer is how condemned we are before the law of God. Because none of us love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we want to shrink back and run away from God. And that's what the law does. When the law commands us to pray, when the law commands us, we want to shrink back, but then we see Christ. And that's why Christ is grace. That's why Christ is the gospel of grace. We see Christ, the perfect God, the only one who truly lives for the glory of God and the benefit of man. We see Christ, the perfect one, and we see him as the perfect human being bowing his heart and bowing his life before the Father. And we see in him, in his prayer and in his person, we say, man, I need that. I don't just want that. I don't just want to pray. It's that I need that. It's that I cannot do it on my own. And that's what the gospel is. 
The gospel is seeing the holiness of God and God's command. The gospel is being cut down by the holiness of God. Our pride having been cut down by the holiness of God and the demands of God and his command. Yet the gospel is God himself coming into our condemnation, coming into our world, coming into our rebellion, coming into our sin. And that's what Christ has done. That's what we celebrated last week at Christmas. Hallelujah. God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Christ lived a life that we could not live. He lived a life in perfect obedience to the law. And then he laid down his life as a sacrifice on our behalf, taking the punishment that our sins deserve. And so Christ has done in his death what we could not do with our life. And God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God and pours out his Holy Spirit in our life that we too could walk in his steps. That's how the gospel is prayer. That's how, that's how seeing Christ, prayer is about seeing Christ in who he is and who he, as he prays. So first, learning to pray, pray is the desire of one who, who truly sees Christ. If I see Christ, I want that. I want that. I want to know God like that. Second, learning to pray requires humility. Learning to pray requires humility. And it requires specifically the humility of one who knows he knows nothing. Learning to pray requires the humility of one who knows he knows nothing. Like one thing amazes me about these guys who are asking Jesus, Lord, teach me to pray, they are not secular Canadians. Like I could understand if they were secular Canadians, if they were like me, the secular, I'm an American, but if they were like me and they were like, yo, I have no idea how to pray, Jesus, teach me how to pray. I could understand. But these guys were devout Jews. These guys were living in a culture that was saturated with, supposedly, worship of God and prayer. And yet they came out of their religion. They came out of their religious trappings and they saw Jesus and they saw something different in Jesus. And they came out of their religion and said, no, we want that. Teach us to pray. To learn how to pray requires a lot of unlearning. Sometimes even unlearning that you've taught, been taught and that we've taught you as the church. Learning to pray requires a lot of unlearning. Uh, John MacArthur and William Barclay have helpfully painted a picture of what, what prayer had kind of devolved into in the, in the time of these disciples. And, and some of the picture that they paint resonates with what prayer so often becomes in my life and maybe in yours. The first thing they point out is that prayer in the first century had become just characterized by ritualization. Prayer had become a ritual. The Jews had developed prayers for every object and every occasion, including light, darkness, fire, rain, the new moon, travel, good news and bad news. They had a, they had a prayer written down, a prayer for everything. And I'm sure the original intent was to bring every aspect of their lives into God's presence. But, but they, they diminished that goal by, by compartmentalizing their prayers. And MacArthur's talks, they, they prayed the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And they had 18, up to 18 prayers, formalized, ritualized prayers that they would pray daily. 
The wording and the forms of prayer were set, and they were simply read or repeated from, mer- from memory. Prayers became routine, semi-conscious religious exercise, able to be recited without any mental or passionate involvement by the individual. I mean, the, the biggest thing I can see where I saw this was also when I was living in Japan and Asia and Hong Kong. When you just go into the Buddhist temples and you'd hear the, oh, no, no, I can't, I don't know what they were saying. I don't know if they knew what they were saying. Just the mantras that they would recite in different languages, thinking that it was the words of prayers themselves that were somehow magical or that there were powers in those words themselves. And that's what prayer can so easily devolve into, is we just, we just recite the words that we've known. A second way MacArthur and Barclay uh, talk about how prayer had uh, kind of diminished in the disciples' time was long-windedness. The, some of the religious leaders really liked the flowery, long-windedness of the prayers, that the longer you would go on and on and on for the more spiritual you were. A person's spiritualness is directly proportional to the length of the prayer. Jesus actually speaks directly against this. In the teaching that we're going to start looking at next week in Matthew, Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty... Sorry. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So on the one hand, they're just repeating the words off a page. On the other hand, they're going on and on and on and on and on. And and to to be honest, what they were doing was a lot of the prayers that they would do would speak, go on at great length about who God is and great benedictions and great doxologies, but they never asked God for anything. They never actually made a petition. They never actually asked God to do anything. Or they never asked God to help them. They never asked God to to provide for them in, in any specific way. They never brought a petition before God. But they went on and on in their prayer. And thirdly, and probably most extremely, their prayers were characterized by pride. They were using their prayer as an opportunity to parade their spirituality in front of others. And again, Jesus condemns that in the Sermon on the Mount. So in order to learn how to pray, the disciples first needed to know that they knew nothing. For some of us, as we kind of go through the Lord's Prayer over these next month or so, or however long it takes us to do this, for some of us, you, you, you say, well, I already know I know nothing about prayer. I'm, I'm already there. This is going to be easy for me. For some of us, we, we may have to try to humbly humble ourselves and come and learn from Jesus. The first word we're going to look at this next week, but the first phrase that Jesus teaches us is our Father giving us that hint that in order to learn to pray, we need to come to God as a child. And and here also is the gospel, that when we see the holiness of God, when we see our inability to match up to to meet up to God's uh, commands, that, that we come knowing our need, and we come with faith and trust as a child coming before God and asking His help. You don't come to God. You don't need to come to God with perfect words and perfect prayer. You can come 
messy like a child. If you're bad at prayer, be bad at prayer. It's okay. Come. Come to God in prayer. If you say, I don't know what to say, well, that's what will help you as we go through the Lord's Prayer. If you're slow to learn, if you're saying, well, I'm not progressing in this, well, that's okay. When, when, you, when your kids are learning to walk or when your kids are learning to speak and they say their first words, you don't say, well, what took you so long? You've been here for like a year already and you're not talking yet? Come on. You, you don't do that. Right? Any, any, any parent knows that any, you begin to like listen for your kid's language and you get, begin to rejoice in anything that your kid says that is even somewhat intelligible. Right? It's, it's this process. And my daughter's four now. She still says funny things and in funny ways. And as a parent, you just love hearing your kid talk until they, don't, they stop talking. And then, you know, I'm just kidding. No, you, you love hearing your kids talk. When learning to pray finally, we're learning to pray requires trust to follow the Lord's instruction. I hope some of you, and at least where I am at, I'm at a place of desperation a little bit to say, okay, I really want to learn to pray like Jesus prayed. And learning to pray requires us to trust the Lord's instruction. The disciples didn't ask, they didn't say, Lord, teach us to pray, and then when Jesus started talking, they turned away and started doing something else. To ask, so there's two different types of humility when you ask a question. The first type of humility that's required is the humility required to ask the question. Right? You ever been at a seminar or at a conference or in a classroom or at your business or at your workplace and you don't know what to do, you don't know something. And it takes a certain measure of humility and risk to be the one to say, I, I don't know what's going on here. Can you help? Can you teach me? That's one sort of humility. But that sort of humility means nothing without the second sort of humility. The second sort of humility is actually to sit then under them as they teach you and as they instruct you in the way. Do you, have you ever met anybody who only had the first type of humility? They knew that they were supposed to ask, so they would ask, and then you start giving them the answer, and they get distracted. So, so the type of humility that's required to learn how to pray is the type of humility that not only asks, but also listens for the answer. And the Lord's Prayer calls us to a level of humility. We are so quick to set aside the Lord's Prayer and Jesus' instruction in prayer, and I think we're quick to do it for a couple reasons. Number one, it's like 50 words. Right? It's not long. It's a very short prayer. And so you say, well, teach me to pray. And then you say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you say, that's it? That doesn't seem like a lot. So we can, we can despise the instruction because it's too short and too easily memorable. One time I was reading, there's this early Christian document called the Didache. And in the Didache, it's this, this church manual for, for, for churches, probably from the first century. And it said, it was basically telling, 
It said, tell the believers to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. And I was like, that's it? That's what they're telling? That's how they're teaching people to pray is just go out, go out and, and, and pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day? I thought, there's got to be something more to prayer than that. And so we can despise Jesus' teaching because we can feel like it's not enough. Now, as we go forward in this, as we go forward, the reason why I'm taking a couple months to do this and actually want to, I want to show you that the Lord's Prayer, although it is simple, do not think that means it is shallow. Okay? There's a depth in those 50-some words. And so don't despise it because it's simpleness. And, and the second thing, and I think one of the reasons why we despise, you know, I'm saying the word despise, I just mean ignore the Lord's Prayer today, is the Lord's Prayer doesn't seem so specifically concerned with our emotions or our desires. But it seems concerned with bringing us in line with God's desires. And I think that's one of the reasons why we, we find we, we want to move on from the Lord's Prayer too quickly. It doesn't seem to be so concerned with our emotions and our desires. It doesn't seem so, so concerned with our experience of God. And what it seems is, is it's concerned with God's glory and His desires. Now again, as I say that, as we understand the Lord's Prayer, we realize the Lord's Prayer will call us into relationship with God. It will call us into that experience of God. But that's a, that's a secondary thing to just being brought into the presence of God himself through prayer. And third, maybe, maybe you grew up in a church that just recited it. And we do it. We do it at the, at the end of our services. We, we do the Lord's Supper and we, we've been starting to say the Lord's Prayer together. And so there is a recitation element to it. But I, I pray that you don't despise it just because you grew up in a church that said formalized prayer, that just said it each week. I, I, my prayer is, we, we started, I started adding it into our service this fall, but I didn't really explain why. And my prayer would be that as we go through and we hear Jesus' teaching, as we learn to pray, that part of the service would be one where you say, man, this is great. We get to pray and we get to pray as Jesus taught us. I was, I was visiting a family in our church recently, and the father did something I never had seen before. The son, who's yay high, wanted a piece of dessert. And he did, as people yay high do, kind of grabbed for it. And the father said, no, you need to ask for it. And the father got really, really close down to the kid's face, like really put his cheek right up next to his son's face and looked him right in the eye. And he said, very slowly and very clearly, he said, Daddy? And the son repeated, Daddy? He said, can? And the son said, can? And he continued to say, can? I have a piece of cake, please. And the son repeated after him, word by word. And it was beautiful. It was such a beautiful moment in that family to see the father's love of the son that he would teach him how to make a request of him. 
and he would, he would teach him, and he did it in such an intimate way by putting his face right next to his son's face. It was, it was beautiful, and I said, man, I've never seen that. And, and the son did not shrink back or shrink away from his father's instruction. But because the father had been so intimate with the son, the son, you could tell, this is something that they did in their family again and again, time and time again. And so the son knew the prompting of the father. And so the son followed in that, in that, in that way. And that's how that son is learning how to talk. That's how that son is learning how to make requests. That's how that son is learning how to relate to the Father. And that's my prayer as we go through the Lord's Prayer. Is that we would see Jesus when we come in our desperation, when we look at our own lives and we say, man, I know that I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and strength. I know I'm to love my neighbor as myself. I know I am to pray. I know this is to pour out of me, but I don't know how to do it, but I see Jesus. And Jesus would come and he'd kneel alongside us and he'd say, yes, I'll teach you how to pray. The Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. That's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of months. It's going to require us to come to God as children. Um, I have a gift for you because, oh, I love this. I love this quote. I'm going to to read this quote first by Martin Luther. He said this. He says, to this day, I suckle at the Lord's prayer like a child. And as an old man, eat and drink from it and never get my fill. It is the very best prayer, even better than the Psalter, which is so very dear to me. It is surely evident that a real master composed and taught it. What a great pity that the prayer of such a master is prattled and chattered so irreverently all over the world. How many pray the Lord's Prayer several thousand times in the course of a year, And if they were to keep on doing it for a thousand years, they would not have tasted or prayed one iota, one dot of it. In a word, the Lord's Prayer is the greatest martyr on earth, as are the name and the word of God. Everybody tortures and abuses it, but few take comfort and joy in its proper use. That quotation is from a a really short, it's about an 11-page book, written by Martin Luther to his barber. Luther had a reputation of getting up early and praying for two or three hours each morning. And his barber asked him, how do you do it? I really struggle at prayer. How do you do it? And Luther jotted an email, basically, an email-length essay he wrote to his barber. And it was called A Simple Way to Pray. Um, In this booklet I gave you, I have, I've I've edited a little bit, um, but it's, it's in here. It's Luther's uh, treatise on a simple way of prayer, and he just tells his barber, this is how I pray the Lord's Prayer. I've added a couple other writings in there as well, but if you'd like to take that back and, and just start reading some of it. And so I, I have, I, I don't usually do this in sermons, but I have homework for you. I usually only do this in like our Sunday school and our leadership classes, but I have homework for you. My, your homework this week would be, um, I'd love for you to read just a couple pages from A Simple Way to Pray that I've included in there. And just start this week, this, this morning, even tomorrow morning. Start waking up. Before you taking a shower, praying. Take each phrase, our Father. What does that mean today? God, our Father. Just start meditating on each word and each phrase. 
and go before God and, and see Jesus pray and follow in his steps. That'd be the, that'd be the homework for this week. Uh, Lord, we come to you. Our great God and Father, hallowed be your name. May, 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 your, may your name be lifted high among us in each one of our lives and in our church. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, it's your will that we learn to pray. It's your will that we as a church would not only gather to pray, but to continue on in, in lifting up your name and making prayers on, on the behalf of our friends and neighbors. It's your desire that we would know you and be known of you. So let your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, as we make requests unto you, you hear us. as we forgive those who trespass against us. Father, forgive us for our complacency and our ignorance and our slothfulness to pray. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I know this week the evil one will try to rob us of our opportunity of our environment, of our desire to pray, to know you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. We are going to turn our eyes to our Lord in worship of his name.